Today we are starting a new teaching series for the next five weeks called This is Hope. We are a multi-congregational church, meaning we have a congregation here in Nazareth, a congregation in Bethlehem, and we are both going to be going through this series, and I wanted to tell you why, because for some of you, it's going to be a recap of something you heard three years ago. For our covenant members, if you don't know the things that we're going to go over, you should. Core to who we are as a church. Hope Alliance, as a church, started, uh, I'm going to say, 12 years ago, when Pastor Adam Eshbaugh and his wife, Rach, moved to Bethlehem Township and began having a core group that met in their home, was a Bible study, then became a full-fledged congregation with people, and, and it's been in existence ever since, preaching the message of simply Jesus. My wife, Jess, and me and our family moved up to Nazareth six years ago, this July, this past July, started meeting with some of you who are in this room, praying and talking about what it would look like to have a congregation of Hope Alliance in Nazareth that was preaching the message of simply Jesus, to be an outpost for the gospel here. And in October of 2018, October 14th of 2018, church planners remember these dates because they're monumental. Um, Almost four years ago, I said five in my email. If anyone was doing the math, you noticed I did that wrong. Four years ago this October, we launched public worship gatherings here in this room, in this space. It was wild. If you were here that first Sunday, can you raise your hands? Look around. How many many people is that in this room? 50%? Maybe? Maybe? We then took time to preach through our identity as a church, and then we went through our, you know, sort of our core identity and the, and the values that we hold to and the ways that we try to live out this, this identity statement of simply Jesus. And for two years, we lived it out. And then COVID. Maybe you've heard of this. George Floyd is killed. There's an election. COVID keeps going. We started gathering, like I'm filming sermons in my bedroom, live streaming them. Started gathering outside at the Whitfield, and new people started showing up. And some of our original folks left. I'm not going to lie about that. It was a, it were weird days. Left because they didn't like our masking policy. I'm not going to lie, left because I got asked to pray at a Black Lives Matter gathering in town. How could I turn that down as a pastor when a bunch of teenagers asked me to come and pray? Lost people over it. But you know what? We gained people, in my opinion, to the glory of the gospel, the glory of God. And we came out of COVID actually the same size, numbers-wise, if you were counting, which I do try to keep track of how many people say we're their church home. Like, okay, God, interesting. But when we came back in person, I got up to talk and was like, this is a different congregation than before COVID. And again, that's why I had you raise hands. Like, you know who's, who was not here in the beginning and who is here now and who's come over the last couple of years. It's been a wild ride. 
And it is an appropriate time, I think, for us to revisit sort of who we are as a church. As Hope Alliance, who are we? Why do we do the things that we do? What matters to us as a church family? You know, in Nazareth, we say that we're, you know, a gospel-centered family sent here out of Bethlehem to live out the kingdom of God and invite people into it. To just live it out in community and invite people into it. And that's how this got started, and it's how it will continue multiplying. And our dream is that someday there will be gospel outposts all over the valley preaching the message of our identity, which is simply Jesus. Hence the reason it's on the wall. That's why it's on our t-shirts. It's why it's on our brochures to tell you about our church. We want to be all about one thing, simply Jesus. Jesus is first. Everything else is secondary. And typically a distant secondary. You can't add to Jesus, you can't outdo Jesus and the gospel. We want everything to be about him. And so as we launch into this teaching series today and and then in the following four weeks, I want to help flesh out that identity, what it means to us, why we are all about that, and what it means to actually live that out through some of our, our four key values. You can find them on the brochure. If you pay attention, you'll see them over the next four weeks, starting next week with gospel saturation. But why simply Jesus? Now I want to say this right from the beginning. I think that there are other gospel preaching and believing churches in this valley. And there's plenty that aren't. For various reasons. So I I don't want you to hear me saying, and I know Pastor Adam would say the same thing, we're not up here saying, we're the best, we're the only ones, we've got it all locked down and figured it out. We're perfect. We're not. But I do think we're on to something in this day and in this culture to be focused on simply Jesus. In a country that is post-Christian, sorry, it is, in the 12th most unreached urban area in the country, think about that. Los Angeles, Philadelphia, New York, Portland. The Lehigh Valley's 12th. That's wild to me. But this, this valley doesn't just need our churches, it needs churches, okay? It takes all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. So we pray for gospel-believing and preaching churches. So we don't think we're the only ones, but we're certainly feeling called to this message and this gospel of simply Jesus. So to sort of set the stage for where we're going, I'm going to tell a narrative that you've heard before, and and here's my hope, that particularly for our covenant members, you will start to ingrain this in your minds, that you will memorize this narrative, and it will help you remembering the gospel for yourself, but also to be able to uh, help multiply it out and invite people into the kingdom. So the narrative comes from Matthew 17. We're not going to read it right now, I just want to sort of uh, tell it to you. If you've grown up in the church or you've been here before, you've heard this story before. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, probably his, his leadership team of sorts. Peter, sort of the loud mouth of the group, right? Always gets a bad rap for trying real hard. And James and John, the brothers, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. And he takes these three guys and he goes up this mountain. And when they get up the mountain, the Greek actually says when they get sort of into the mountainside, The texts say that Jesus is transfigured. It's a fancy word for transformed. The Greek word is metamorphosis. Okay, so like you can understand the concept there, right? He changes, like something happens to Jesus that he starts glowing white. 
Picture, like imagine you're there. Just starts glowing white, bright as the sun, white as snow. This cloud envelops them. The glory of God, maybe. And Elijah and Moses show up from the dead. And they start having a conversation with Jesus. Now, the text moves very quickly through this. I have a feeling this was like a bit of a lengthy conversation. Like, they made a long journey to get there, okay? Like, I don't think it was just like a high and by. I have a feeling there was this, this dialogue between Jesus and Moses and Jesus and Elijah. And Peter, being Peter, is blown away by this. And he's like, we should build tents for you to stay in. Like, we should just stay in this moment. And this cloud that envelops them, out of this cloud and this bright light comes this voice from heaven that the text tells us is God the Father speaking, and he says, this is my son, Jesus, whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. And the disciples are terrified, as you and I would be, this voice booming from God, glowing Jesus, Moses, Elijah, the whole thing, right? They fall down on the ground. They're terrified. And then it seems like it just, it stops. And Jesus comes over and he touches them and says, get up, it's okay. And let's say they look, they look up and they see Jesus only. Moses and Elijah are gone and the moment is over. They go back on down the mountain. So if you have ever read any of these books, sort of complete your own, uh, choose your own adventure, or you ever read a book to kids, you know that sometimes you say things like, well, what's gonna happen next? trying to get kids to forecast. You're trying, like, what's, what's going to happen in this story? We're going to do a little bit of what's next with this story to sort of help set the stage for why we believe simply Jesus is the model we should be after. So I've told you this narrative. I want you to think about something with me. Moses, Elijah, mountaintop experience, all this is going on. Imagine that when it was all said and done, Moses is gone, Elijah's gone, Jesus is gone. They look up and they see no one. Peter, James, and John are all that's left. They go down off the mountain. They're telling everybody what happened. They've had a mountaintop experience, right? You ever had a mountaintop experience? Go to a retreat somewhere, go to a conference, kind of out of your element, something extraordinary happens. And man, like it's just incredible. The adrenaline's pumping. You're thrilled. You're excited. Then you got to come back down off the mountain and you got to live life. I've had these mountaintop experiences. I grew up in going to youth group in the 90s where it was like, man, best thing you could do is get kids out of their environment to teach them something new. True story, still true. But what happens is you go to these things, and I went to one one time, and I was like, man, I should stop listening to secular music. Mountaintop experience, adrenaline flowing. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make this decision. I go home, I get rid of all my tapes at the time, okay? You know what I do now, 20 years later? I listen to secular music. Why? Because it was a mountaintop experience. Something happened in that moment that maybe I was supposed to learn something and do something and change some behaviors in my life, but I made this like crazy decision and then didn't stick with it. See, this is what mountaintop experiences do to us. We try to live for them, try to keep finding them, try to go from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. And a lot of times in the church in America in particular, that's what we try to make church all about is this mountaintop experience week after week after week after week. And it becomes all about the Sunday experience this mountaintop high that happens on a Sunday morning, the excitement, the emotional manipulation that sometimes goes along with that. Can I just ask you a question? 
Where is that when you get that bad diagnosis? Where's the mountaintop experience when you lose your job? Where does it go when that shame creeps back into your mind about that thing you did all those years ago? where's Where's the mountaintop high when your kids are actively rebelling against you and you don't know what to do and how to love them well? It's gone. See, this is the problem with living for mountaintop experiences. They're just not there for the long haul. They're not actually with us. And so when, 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 when these disciples look up, they don't see no one. They see Jesus. Jesus who walked up the mountain with them is the same Jesus that comes back down with them. See, Jesus wants to walk with us through normal life, not the high, to high, to high, to high. He wants to be with us on top of the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain, in the valley, in the low spots. This is why at Hope Alliance, Sundays are about simply Jesus. It's not about an event. It's not about a program. I, listen, I love singing. Like, I was leaning into it over there. Like, I, I, I love it. It feels good. Tear-inducing, joy-inducing, That's not all there is to the Christian life. There's also the daily monotony of walking day after day, putting one foot in front of the other. And you know who's there with us? Not the mountaintop experience, Jesus only. That's who's meant to go with us and be Emmanuel, God with us for the long haul, not just living for mountaintop experiences. So you need to know, again, who we are as a church, that it's never going to be about the Sunday show. It's not about the high production. Like, we bought some lights from Amazon, like kind of fancy, I don't know, for kind of a dinky room. It's about it. This is not about the emotional manipulation. It's not about the high of a Sunday. It's about meeting with God, letting him do what he wants to do, and then walking with him the next six days of the week. Jesus only, not just the mountaintop experience. So let's play what if again. What if the disciples, this crazy thing happens, Moses, Elijah, cloud, voice from, from God, what if they, they look up and they see Moses only? I need to interject something right here. We stole this sermon from Charles Spurgeon. I just need to say that because I'm like big on not being like a plagiarizer. It's kind of important. We, like, we kind of reoriented it from Charles Spurgeon. So if you don't trust me, you can read him. I, I wish there was audio, but there's not. Anyway. What if they look up and they see Moses only? See, Moses is is incredibly important in the people of Israel, in the Jewish people. Moses is the one who did what? Freed, through God's power, freed the people from slavery in Egypt, led them out into the wilderness. And, And one of the first things that happens is God gives the people the covenant. He gives them what becomes known as the law. And for the sake of, you know, our, our, our narrative today, I want you to understand and know Moses as the law. And parts of the law, well, not parts of, the law was good. What God gave the people of Israel was good. But what happens with good law, good religious practices, is that men and women start to oversee them. And men and women are corrupt and selfishly sinful. So they start to twist the law start to twist the religion. And rather being something that was 
like edifying a relationship with God became this thing that locked people into a religious structure. It became this, this checklist of do all the right things and then God will be happy with us as opposed to the amount of grace that's in the law is actually incredible. Moses represents the law. Moses represents this, this religion that had started to, to constrain the people into this idea that they needed to live this checklist kind of life just to make God happy with them. It's religion. So when we talk about that word here, there are parts of religion that are good. You know, by definition, this is a religious exercise today, and it's good. But there's a whole lot of religion that is bad, that is corrupt. And here's what I think you know, if you're anything like me. Religion actually doesn't transform us. Legalism, moralism doesn't actually change us from the inside out. It doesn't actually deal with our internal corruption. It just becomes this outside thing telling us we're terrible and condemning us, which is what Paul says about the law, right? just condemns us. And I need to say this. In this country in particular, well, in the history of the world, (laughs) but we've seen it tangibly in this country over the last couple years, religion often links up with power and politics and becomes even more corrupt and ultimately becomes hateful and violent. Enough said about that. Moses only, representing the law, representing this this religion that started to constrain the people. What if they had looked up and seen only him? Well, they would have come away thinking, okay, law's where it's at. We just need to keep that law the way we have been doing it. If we just do it right, God will be happy with us. But like I said, law and religion is empty. It doesn't actually transform. It actually defeats us. Do you know this? Religion defeats us. It's this checklist that we can't keep up with and constantly says, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And then those of us that do think we can keep it, then we try to tell everybody else, you're not good enough and you're not good enough. And it just defeats us. And we know that we try to keep the law in all these ways, but it doesn't actually transform us. And we're like, well, what am I doing? It's not working. Or it deceives us because we think, I am good. Look at me. Aren't I great? I didn't go to that rated R movie with my friends. I didn't beat the kids too much this week. I'm not too greedy. I give to church sometimes. I do that service project. Check, check, check. I'm good. Right? Again, I hope I'm not the only one that thinks these things sometimes. We deceive ourselves into thinking we're righteous because we keep some kind of checklist. Scriptures are pretty clear. We're not. We're a decrepit mess. Defeats us. It deceives us. But then, if we're honest, it also disturbs us. Religion disturbs us because of the things I've already talked about. When you look around, you see, well, that guy's telling me to keep all the rules, but he's cheating on his wife. What the crap? Sorry. Do you know what I'm saying? We see the hypocrisy in religious leaders. We see the hypocrisy in our own lives. I'm trying to keep the checklist, but I better hide this thing in the closet over here. I don't want to tell anybody about that thing I just did. Or we try to keep all the rules, and then we're like, is this it? This is what Jesus came to offer me? A life of rule keeping? 
It's a big letdown, religion. Can't transform us, can't actually fix us from the inside out. Legalism, moralism, it doesn't transform us. It does not save See, the disciples don't look up and see Moses only and a checklist religion. They look up and they see Jesus only. Jesus who does check all the boxes. Jesus who did fulfill the law in all of its entirety of loving God and loving man. Jesus who did fill it all and takes the condemnation that we deserve for not keeping the checklist in the first place. See, they look up, they don't see Moses only, they see Jesus only. And the non-checklist, the non-religious life, believe it or not. Because many of us have been taught that Christianity is all about religion, all about rule-keeping. And friends, I'm here to tell you it's not. It's about simply Jesus. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. So again, back to the narrative. Let's play what if one more time. They look up, they don't see no one, they don't see Moses only. What if they see Elijah only? They look up, they're scared, they're terrified. Oh, Elijah's here. Good, now we can leave the mountain with Elijah. Which, honestly, Elijah was kind of weird. That would have been terrifying in and of itself, all right? But Elijah's what? He was a prophet, right? He's this, this firebrand, this, 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 like, man, he was a wild man. Preaching what? Someday God's gonna come and do something. God's going to come and he's going to restore Israel and he's going to come and he's going to judge all of you and he's going to come and he's going to judge the nations who are against you. Get ready. It's coming someday. This is what the prophetic life was about in some ways. And so whereas Moses represents law and religion, you have Elijah representing the prophetic future, the forward looking, the still waiting. The problem is what God was doing in the future had come in Jesus. The future is now, right? to use a a term that is popular. It's here. They didn't come down with Elijah only and just the future, looking forward to something. They came down with Jesus now. And so here's why this is important. So many of us, again, if you grew up in the church, so many of us have been taught that the Christian life is about white-knuckling it until Jesus comes back. Just hang on. Someday, it's all going to burn, and I'm getting out of here. We laugh, but don't you know it to be true? Haven't you experienced this? Haven't you believed this? It's this Christianity that preaches that it's only heaven someday. Everything else, this all just stinks. Which then leads to an apathetic lifestyle where we don't care about the environment, don't care about people, don't care about poverty, whatever, I'm just getting out of here someday, all these heathens are going to hell. (laughs) That's an Elijah-only mentality, a future-only looking. Now listen, I believe in a future new creation. I've read the end of the book, right? Like I believe that Jesus comes and restores all things and that there is a new world, an eternal heaven-ish creation that we get to live in. I believe it's going to look a lot like this one. Just good, not corrupted. So there is something to look forward to. Paul is trying to take hold of, right, that that resurrection, that future life. But it's not just a future. It's a now reality. 
It's not just an Elijah, someday there's going to be a judgment and it's all going to come to an end and I can't wait to get out of here life. It's a Jesus came to walk with me now. If it's eternal life, when does it start? Now. There's a, there's a, a verse that, that we love to talk about here. Um, Jesus is praying towards the end of his earthly ministry. He's praying to the Father. And he prays that God would give the disciples, past, present, future, that he would, God would grant eternal life to Jesus' followers. But then he defines it, and he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Hear me, friends. This is Jesus. Like, you want to know what a definition of eternal life is? Go to the source. You hear him? He doesn't talk about quantity. He doesn't talk about length of time, eons and eons, living forever, playing a harp. No. That's not what he does, right? If you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, what is eternal life? This is eternal life, that they may know God, the one true God, and the one that he sent, which is Jesus. See, eternal life, friends, is knowing God. Eternal life is knowing Jesus now. Yes, looking forward to eternity with him. Yes, looking forward to new creation. I, like, I can't wait. I pray for it all the time. This life is hard. This life is broken. But guess what? I get to walk with Jesus and know the Father now. You see the difference? Instead of just looking to escape out of here someday, you realize Jesus is with me now in this moment. Earlier in John, he's talking to the disciples and he says, look, I am going to prepare a place for you. I am going to get a place ready for you. And you're going to come and be there with me. And Thomas, being Thomas, is like, yeah, but how? You remember what Jesus tells him? Thomas, you know the way. You've seen me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. You understand? Jesus is the way. Jesus is the future brought into the present for us to walk with on a daily basis, to know the eternal life with God now because of the presence of Emmanuel, God with us, walking with us day by day by day. It's not about just Sunday. It's not about just someday. It's about walking with Jesus now, walking in the ways of Jesus. See, here's the thing. When, when we just focus on the future, the white-knuckling it until we get out of here mentality, you know what that does? It actually distances us from Jesus. We just think, well, he's up there. He's far off. Someday I'll get to him. Jesus preaches the exact opposite. It says, I'm with you now. I'm the way now. I'm the full life now. And I want to walk with you now. That future thinking, it distances us from God. But this is the other thing it does. Like I talked about, it disengages us from mission you know that we have a mission? As Jesus' followers, we're meant to live out the kingdom and invite people into it. It doesn't mean everyone's going to come. It doesn't mean everyone's going to respond. It doesn't mean you're going to be like great evangelists, proselytizing everyone. But there is this understanding of like, we want to live for the glory of God and let other people know about it and invite people into it because we believe it's the full life. But when we think, oh, it's just someday, we walk around as these miserable people with an us-them mentality and then we don't share the gospel. It disengages us from mission when we think it's just a someday reality. Friends, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life now. They don't look up and see an Elijah futurist God. 
They see Jesus only who says, I want to walk with you now. There is no distance between us now. Be on mission with me and walk in the way of Jesus now. Friends, do you see it? This is Jesus only. Now, what if? Final one. What if Moses, Elijah, Jesus talking, cloud, God speaking, fall down, scared. What if they look up and all three of them are still there and they walk on down off the mountain together? What Peter wanted seemed to, right? He's like, I just want to stay in this. Man, let's just hang out with these guys forever. I want that law. I want the future. I, yeah, Jesus is great. Friends, I think this is sort of the milieu that is the evangelical church in America. I do this. I'm sure you do it. Kind of dabble in each. A little bit of future. A little bit of law. Condemn myself. Condemn others. Someday I'll get out of here. Oh, Jesus on a Sunday. Yay, mountaintop. Like, you know what I mean? Like we, we just kind of take from each of them at any given moment. And it's this sort of muddied, dirty water. Uh, some of you know that, I guess two months ago now, I don't know, uh, me and my boys went to Canada for a fishing trip. And where we went was like forever away into the nether regions of Canada. And all we brought with us for drinking water was empty containers and either some iodine tablets or a filter, you know, filtration system. And so if you've ever watched a survival show, we're going through alone right now. Anybody watch some of that? You think like, I could do that. Probably not. The lesson's always the same. Canada, alone. Don't drink the muddy water. Go get the clean water. When we were in Canada, you know where the clean water was? Out in the deep you didn't get it by shore because that's where everything's stirred up. That's where we're dumping our food at the end of the day because you don't want bears. Anyway, other side story. You got to go out and you got to go to the deep water and you got to get this clean water that has less sediment in it. See, what happens in church a lot of times, you want a little bit of Moses, a little bit of Elijah, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of mountaintop, a little bit of my own works. Try to pull all these things together and it muddies it all up. Friends, they don't look up and come down off the mountain with all three of them. They look up and they see who? Jesus only. What does Jesus say he is? I am the living water. Come to me and drink and living water will flow out of you. There's that mission again, right? Living water will flow out of you. The fruits of the spirit will flow out of you. It's not religion that transforms you. It's not just waiting to get out of here someday that transforms you. It's drinking the clean water of Jesus only that flows into our souls, restores us, and flows out of us to our families, to our friends, to our schools, to the world around us. Friends, they don't look up. We should not look up <laughs> and try to find all three of those guys, all three of those modes of existence as a Jesus follower. It's not the law anymore. It's not the condemnation and the self-righteousness of the law not just white-knuckling it until we get out of here. It's a Jesus who walks with us now and restores our souls now with living water, clean water, the pure water of the gospel. 
And we're going to talk next week about how it is that gospel saturation actually transforms us. That the gospel's not just the ticket in, but it's also the party, okay? It's not just the diving board, it is the pool that we swim in. We'll get to that next week. So those of you who are like, yeah, but how does simply Jesus... Okay, we'll get there. Good question. I'll read this passage for you. Hmm? After six days, Jesus took Peter... James and his brother John, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, And one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. It's like God has to interrupt Peter. A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. I I pray that you're not listening to me that you're not just listening to podcasts about Jesus, that you're not just reading books about Jesus, that you're listening to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came up, touched them, and said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. Friends, where are you at today? Are you here as a religious act? Just trying to keep a checklist? Is that what your Christian life is about? Maybe in a Christian a long time and you're just, just waiting to get out of here someday. Maybe you got dragged here. I understand that's a reality. Can I just say that this isn't about our church? This isn't about, I won't look at any teenagers. This is not about your parents. This is not about your past church experience. It's not about your shame. It's not about your baggage. It's not about all those dumb mistakes you made. It's not about the broken relationships. This is about life that Jesus is offering now in him alone. Do you want that? Like I said a couple weeks ago, do you have eyes to see that? Do you have ears to hear that? Do you have a heart that's open to that? Or do you just want to keep doing it your way? keeping some checklist of some sort, maybe even not a religious one, just your own salvation of some sort? Or can you believe me? Can you trust a little bit? Can you see the fruit in the community and say, there's something different, I want that, and know that it's simply Jesus? Friends, we need to look up sometimes, (laughs) daily, actually, look up and see Jesus only. Are you doing that? 
See, friends, that's why we exist as a church, to preach that message, to live that message out in the way we live our lives, in the way we love our community, in the way we send out like missionaries, in the way that we use our money, to preach, teach, live out simply Jesus. That's what you're a part of. And for 50% of you, you've been experiencing it, but maybe you didn't know it. Now you do. And like Peter, like Paul, I say, now it's on you. It's on you to do business with that. I don't say that to be mean, to be condescending, just to be honest. I know what I feel. I know what I believe. I know what I've experienced. And I know what some of you have felt, believed, experienced. For some of us, you've got to do business with this. Is Jesus only what you want? Do you believe this? If you're on the fence, keep coming and hanging out. Keep being part of community. Or maybe jump in. Say, I'm taking one step today. I want that. And we'll see where it goes from there. This is the glorious journey that life with Jesus is. It starts now, right now for all of us. Eternity is in this moment right now. Let's look up and see Jesus only, not any of these other things, okay? Let's pray.